As part of the church, each of us is called to action. When you serve on the First Impressions team, you make a difference in the lives of those who attend. People decide whether they will return to a church in the first seven minutes of their visit. Before the music or the preaching, our First Impressions team is there to welcome guests to our church family. Whether it's in our parking lots, greeting at the doors, or answering questions, the faithful service of our volunteers is vital to our ministry. We are so thankful that we are a church of action. If you feel the First Impressions team is where God is leading you, email volunteer at marverly.org or talk to someone at the welcome desk and we will get you plugged in. Church in Action. We started this series last Sunday. It's going to go for the next few weeks. And uh, last Sunday, just sort of as an opening sermon, an introduction to this idea of a church in action, I share with you three reasons that the church is able to take action, or you could even say three principles. One being that our foundation is solid. It's built on Jesus Christ. The two, the second thing being that our future is secure, that our enemy is not able to ultimately overpower us. So we are undefeatable in this world that we live in. And then third, we can take action because our function is really significant. It's, we're irreplaceable. What, what our role is in the culture that we live in, uh, we're the only ones that have the responsibility to do that, and that's share eternal truth. So I'm glad you came back today. I'm glad you're here this morning. And uh, today what I want to talk about then is one of the first and probably most important and perhaps most neglected actions that the church should be taking, and that is submission. Oh, wow, we're going to talk about submission. Yeah, because the submission usually sounds like defeat. If you submit to someone, they defeat you. Or it sounds like weakness, maybe. Well, this morning, I want us to talk about it, but it's not just submission in general. It's submission specifically to the Holy Spirit, to God's Spirit in our lives, to God's work in our lives and what He wants to do. Now, if you've already placed your faith in Jesus Christ, which I realize the vast majority of people who attend here each Sunday and even many of those of you who watch online You've already come to the place in your life where you've asked Christ to come into your life. You put your trust in him. And the Bible says when that happens, you are indwelt by his spirit. And when you get saved, you get all of the Holy Spirit. Some churches teach you get a little now, you get a little later. No, no, not according to God's word. In fact, God's word is very clear. Paul says this in Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed or since the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ... He does not belong to him. So I wonder if when you heard me say Holy Spirit a minute ago, if you kind of cringed just a little. Holy Spirit? You know, because the Charismatics and the Pentecostals and other groups like that have sort of shaped our view and our understanding of the work and the person of the Holy Spirit to some degree. And some of us, when we hear the idea of a pastor, even a Baptist church, getting, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, it's like, uh-oh, it's kind of scary. And talk about the Holy Spirit because we've allowed these other groups to sort of exploit our understanding of the Holy Spirit instead of looking at Scripture to understand who the real Holy Spirit is and what He wants us to do. I think we're afraid that if we, if we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we'll wind up doing something that would embarrass ourselves, something crazy, right? So I wonder, especially in the Baptist church, if we haven't created a version of Christianity that largely deems the Holy Spirit unnecessary in our Christianity. Without the Holy Spirit's activity in our life, we really cannot live the normal Christian life. We can live the average Christian life, but 
not the Christian life that God intended for us to live. So let me just ask you, do you need the Holy Spirit daily in your life? That's not a theoretical question. That's not a, well, I'm supposed to say yes to that. That's a practical question. Can you live Monday morning, tomorrow, all day long without the Holy Spirit in your life? He's actually in your life if you're a believer. I just told you that. But can you live without submitting to him? Can you do what he wants you to do without being in submission to him? Because I think we treat the Holy Spirit like he's the weird part of the Trinity or something. If you love God, you love the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if you love Jesus, you love his Holy Spirit. If you trust God, if you trust Jesus, you trust the Holy Spirit. If you need God, if you need Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit. They're not separate. They're one and the same. And so to actually live the life that God has called us to live, to do God's will in the world as a church, we're talking about a church taking action, we can't do any of that unless we first, as a church, collectively and individually, submit to the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, I love the word submission in the Greek because it's, it's like a lot of other Greek words. It has a lot of detail. It kind of helps us understand. It's two words. It's, it's the word hupotasso, but it's the word hypo, which means under, and tasso means arrange or arrangement. The noun is arrangement, so it, it means to literally live under God's arrangement. We talked about a couple of weeks ago how God arranges the parts of the body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and that you're not placing the body accidentally. You're, you're there with a specific design. You're part of the blueprint for the body of Christ. And, and the Bible actually says in that passage that he arranges the parts of the body. God has a plan. He has a blueprint. He knows what he's doing. He's sovereign. He's in control. And so God not only designs the, the body, he designs the church, but he designs our part of that as well. And so we're a part of God's plan. We're, we're a part of his arrangement. The question is, are you under his arrangement? Or are you operating, are we as a church operating outside of his arrangement? To submit to the Holy Spirit is to operate under his arrangement. And so this morning, if you have your Bible, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to go ahead and find that. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, and I'm going to read aloud as you follow along silently. I'm going to ask you to stand out of reverence for God and for his word, and, uh, and I'll read this for us. It says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. So here it is. It's actually a command in the original language. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled by or with the Spirit. That's a command in the original language. Be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, Paul uses a contrast here to help us understand what he's talking about. You've all probably witnessed somebody who's intoxicated. And sometimes we laugh at people who are intoxicated. They do silly things, but sometimes they do very destructive things too. Sometimes people who are intoxicated run other people off the road and kill them. Sometimes people who are intoxicated abuse their families. So it's not a laughing matter, really. Paul's exactly right. When someone's full of alcohol, whatever that level is for them, when they get to a certain level in their life where they have enough alcohol in their body, they're no longer in control of who they are. Now the alcohol's in control. And that leads to recklessness, he says, reckless living. Well, he contrasts that and says, don't be like that. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by God's spirit. Be full of God's spirit to where God's spirit has control over you. But for God's spirit to have control over you, you have to submit to his spirit. You have to be under his control and under his arrangement in your life. So 
So it's interesting, you know, being drunk with wine leads to recklessness. Being full of the Spirit leads to meaning and purpose. And so many good things, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. And I think there's no reason to be scared of the Holy Spirit, but I think we've been co-opted into believing that sometimes. So the church in action is a church that wants to do God's will, wants to do what God wants for us. But the only way to do that is to submit to his will. So this morning I want to share with you three principles or three simple truths that are so obvious, but I think we need a reminder this morning as a church of these simple truths about submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit and what it means. Because we submit to the Holy Spirit, first of all, in order to know God's will. You ever want to know God's will? Ever have a big decision in your life and you just thought, if God would just show me what to do in this moment, like who should I date kids or where should I go to college or who should I marry or when should we have kids or should I go on this mission trip? Should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? I mean, it could be a thousand different things. And yet, when we come to that place in our life and we want to really know God's will, it seems like it's sort of out of the ordinary. Like, not every day I want to know his will. I just want to know his will for these big things that I really want to get right because I realize if I get them wrong the consequences are pretty pretty big so I want to get them right so I want to know God's will all of us have been there probably the most frequently asked question I get in ministry over my years of ministry is how can I know God's will somebody's probably asked you that before maybe your kids have asked you that before well two weeks ago I mentioned that the only way the best way really to know what your spiritual gift is is to be full of the Holy Spirit to live full of the Holy Spirit and then see what you gravitate toward because his spirit will lead you to where he's gifted you. Well, the same thing is true about knowing God's will. To know God's will, the best way to do that is to live under the control of the Holy Spirit and then he'll make those things more obvious to you. Now, I do believe that sometimes we go through a, a kind of a refining process as we're seeking to know God's will. I bet you, I haven't talked to him about this, but I bet you you could ask anybody who's on our current pastor search committee and I bet you they would tell you that the last nine or ten months, whatever, whatever it's been, almost 11 months, I guess, that they've been part of the pastor's search committee. In fact, leading up to that, when they got asked to serve on the pastor's search committee and they had to pray about whether the, God wanted them to do that or not, I bet they would tell you that these last few months have been a journey of submission to God's Spirit because they're trying to figure out God's will for all of us, who our next pastor is going to be. It's a big decision. It's consequential. It matters. So they don't want to get it wrong. And they know that God has a will. God wants someone to be the pastor of this church, and he's already probably picked that person out. So how do we get on the same page with God to know what, what his will is, who that person is? Well, I bet you could ask, and I bet they would tell you that this whole past year of their life basically has been a journey of just continually submitting to God's will and asking again and again, God, what do you want? What do you want? Because we don't really know, and we're seeking your will to help us understand that. Well, Jesus described the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Jesus actually said in John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. God's spirit, his Holy Spirit that we submit to is a spirit of truth. God's spirit, we're worried and so many times scared about all the crazy weird stuff that we see people talking about the Holy Spirit doing. God's spirit's never gonna contradict his word, ever. You see somebody doing something that contradicts the word of God, that's not the Holy Spirit leading them to do that. That's some other spirit, okay? And that's abused, been abused in the church in the past. It was even abused at Corinth. That's why Paul wrote to them to kind of straighten them out about that a little bit. He's never going to lead you to do something that's not in line with his word because it's impossible for God to lie. The Bible says that. So when he leads us to do things in our lives, when he um, ministers to us and helps us to know the will of God, it's always going to line up with the word of God. So 
He is here to help us know the will of God. The Bible actually says part of his role in our lives is to remind us. Jesus said this, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. So you've probably had this experience sometime when you're out doing something and the Holy Spirit sort of says something to you based on something you've already read in God's word. He reminds you. He brings to your remembrance something that you've either memorized or I don't know how many times this happened in my life, but you can probably relate. You read it in your quiet time that morning and you needed it later that day for something. That's the way God works. And he reminds you of the things that he has already spoken. But he doesn't remind you of things that are inconsistent with his word. It's always consistent with the word of God. And so, so, so much of knowing the will of God, I think, is us getting to the place where we're ready to submit to the Holy Spirit. I remember about 11 years ago when I was presented with the opportunity to leave youth ministry at our church, stay on our staff, and do something else, become the developed pastor. And, uh, man... Up until that point, I had always, you know, I was in my mid-40s. I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to be a youth minister till I die? I mean, am I going to be that guy? You know, I don't know. Maybe I am. I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. I knew some youth ministers that actually retired as youth ministers. Pretty rare. Most guys get to a certain age and they transition to something else. But I was in my mid-40s and I was still like, I was still enjoying youth ministry. I still like it. I, but, and, and every other time before that, when an opportunity presented itself, I was always like, no, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm good. But that time... The opportunity was presented to me, and for some, some reason, something was different in my heart. I was like, hmm, that sounds kind of interesting. I want to I think about that. I want to think about that. So we were getting ready to go on a sabbatical. In our first 10 or 12 days, we were going to be in Colorado, and then we were going to New York, and then we were going to Washington State. So we were kind of bouncing around all over the place. So the first 10 days, I'm in the mountains of Colorado. Beautiful. It's October. There's nobody there. It's starting to kind of snow some, but it's not super cold. Just beautiful. Every day, I'm in the mountains. I'm just me and God and the mountains and my Bible, just us. And I'm like, God, show me your will. I want to know your will. Am I supposed to stop being a youth minister? Because honestly, it's all I know how to do. <laughs> I've done it for 28 years of my life, and I'm not, I'm, sure I could, I'm not even sure I could do anything else. I don't know how to do anything else. So I was a little afraid about transitioning, and I just kept saying, God, what do, what do you want me to do? And then I would go, well, but if I become the developed pastor, I'll have to work with that person. I have to deal with that. Do I want to do this? And so for 10 days in the mountains, I wasted my time there saying with my mouth, I want to know your will, God. But in my heart, you know where I really was? I was at this place of saying, do I want to do this? I really didn't want to know whether God wanted me to do it. I finally got to that place when I got so frustrated that I was like, okay, God, I, I don't know. And I, we were at Brooklyn Tabernacle. If you've ever been to Brooklyn Tabernacle, you know that is a place that God has just blessed. And Tuesday night prayer meeting, and you know the rest of that story, God spoke to me very clearly there because I had gotten so frustrated. Even going to New York, I was so frustrated. I was like, I'm not going to hear God in New York, <laughs> okay? If I can't hear him in Colorado, I'm not going to hear him in New York City, okay? Wrong, <laughs> wrong. And so I did, but, but I had to get to the place in my life where I really could say honestly before God, Whatever you want, God, that's what I'll do. And I wasn't there the first 10 days. First 10 days, I was like, what do I want to do? Do I want to do this? Is this going to be good for me? Am I going to like this? Am I going to be able to do this? I, 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 all about me. Instead of really getting to the place where I can say, God, I'll submit to your arrangement. I just want to know what your arrangement is, and I'll do whatever it is. When we get to that place in our life, oftentimes it's very easy to know the will of God. It's just it takes us a while to get there sometimes. And so... When we think about knowing the will of God, we have the Holy Spirit in our life to help us get to the place in our lives where we can do that. So think about us as a church. 
And we live in this culture, this crazy culture we're living in right now. All the crazy things that are going on, our social issues, political issues. How in the world are we supposed to respond as Christians? The only way we're going to know that, y'all, is if we're in submission to God's Spirit. The only way we're going to know that. How are we supposed to react? How are we supposed to respond? Now, you can look on social media and find out a lot of different ways to respond. That's not what I said. How are we supposed to respond? What action are we supposed to be taking right now? The only way to know that is if we first submit to the Holy Spirit and his control in our lives. So let me ask you a personal question. Would you describe your personal version of Christianity as consistently submitting to the Holy Spirit in your life? Is it a lifestyle for you? Or is it something that happens occasionally when you really need to know God's will? Which one are you this morning? So we submit to the Holy Spirit first in order to know the the will of God. Secondly, we submit to the Holy Spirit in order to do the will of God. There's a big difference between knowing the will of God and doing the will of God. And I would say that, just being honest with you, most of the time my problem is not knowing the will of God, my problem is doing the will of God. And probably that's true for every one of us, if we're honest. We know what we need to do, but we don't always do that, do we? So where does the power come from to be able to do the will of God in your life? Well, Paul said very clearly, well, Luke actually in the book of Acts said this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And he said that to a group of people that were in hiding before this. Power? Hiding? These two things don't usually go together. You're going to be powerful people if you follow the Holy Spirit in your life. These are people who were cowering in fear because they'd seen what happened to their leader, Jesus. And they're going back to the same place where they did that to Jesus, crucified him. And they're standing in front of the same people, the same religious people, the same people who crucified Jesus, and they're going to stand up and witness about Jesus. They needed power to be able to do that. And I find that that Christians today, the last thing they ever get around to doing is actually sharing their faith with anybody. Maybe you've never shared your faith. We talk about it, and you just go, not me. It's not me. And yet we're all called to be witnesses. And the reason you don't is because you don't feel like you have the power to do it. You don't feel able to do it. You go, that's not me. I can't do that. And yet when the Holy Spirit is in your life, the Bible says you actually have the power to do God's will, which that's witnessing is part of doing God's will. It's not all of God's will. But that's why we don't do it is because we don't feel like we have the power, and yet the Bible says we do. So we submit to the Holy Spirit in order to be able to do the will of God. He gives us the power to do it. And then think about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a wonderful thing. Jesus said that my Father is glorified by this, that you and me produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples, Jesus said. Fruit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Paul said in Galatians 5, what's the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I love that. Kindness. Christians are kind people. Don't you love to be around kind people? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Man, gentleness? Don't you love to be around people who are gentle? Aren't just like a bull in a china closet running over everybody? Gentleness? and self-control. Wow. That means that when you're submitted to the Holy Spirit, those things will become true in your life. Your life will be full of love, joy, peace, patience with your kids, patience with your spouse, patience in traffic. I'm preaching to me now, y'all. Patience, wow, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Man, When you're full of the Holy Spirit, when you're submitted to the Holy Spirit, 
that's going to happen. And he says, when you bear fruit, it glorifies my Father in heaven. So he gives us the power to do his will, and that's what he does. That's his will in our lives, that we bear much fruit, that we bear fruit in our lives. Now, he doesn't say, you go out and bear fruit. He says, submit to my spirit. My spirit will do the work in you. You will bear fruit if you stay submitted to my Holy Spirit. What about habitual sin? There are people who struggle with a sin that tends to just beset them, the Bible says. We talked about that in the Entangles series, just that there's certain sins that are lifestyle sins, they're choices we make, or they're things that we just keep tripping up with over and over and over again. You know, Satan's not very creative, but he does tend to tempt us to do the same things over and over again. What happens in that? How does, how does being submitted to the Holy Spirit play into that? Well, Paul said this. It's not God's will that we live in habitual sin and live in hot lifestyle sin. Paul said, I say this, walk by the Spirit. And anytime the Bible says walk, you can transfer the word live there. Walk or live by the Spirit, and you will certainly, certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. Is that true? That is a promise in my Bible and your Bible. That if I walk or I live by the Spirit, if I stay submitted to the Holy Spirit in my life, then I will not carry out the desires of the flesh. I can't do both those things at one time. You can't either. And so oftentimes when we see our lives characterized by a sin that just we repeat over and over again, it's often because we're not under God's arrangement. We've gotten out from under God's arrangement. We're doing it our way. We're not really seeking to be submitted to him. So he talks about the flesh. What is the flesh? Well, Paul said, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Paul says there's a bunch of other stuff too. It's all kind of like that. So is your life characterized more by fruit or flesh? Because if your life is submitted to the Holy Spirit, it'll be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't know, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. <laughs> What's my life characterized by more, flesh or fruit? Because the, the problem is not that you need to do something about it, except the, the answer is for you to submit. The answer is you can't fix that, but you submit to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will do the work in your life to change you so that you can do the will of God. The Bible talks about not only living by the Spirit, but the Bible talks about being led by the Spirit. You know the deacon's prayer, right? You've probably been in churches. We don't do this at Marbury, but sometimes the deacons will come down front when they're taking up the offering back when we used to pass the plate in church, and somebody would call on a deacon to pray, and, and the deacon's prayer always includes lead, guide, and direct us, right? You ever heard that? You guys act like you've never heard that. Man, I grew up hearing the deacon prayer. And Lord, just lead, guide, and direct us. You know what? That's a very biblically accurate prayer. Because the Bible says that we are led by the Spirit. Paul said, for all those who are led by God's Spirit, in Romans 8, 14, are God's sons. We should desire to be led by the Holy Spirit. The only way we can be led by the Holy Spirit is if we submit, get under his leadership, allow him to lead our lives. I remember one of the first times I realized this as a Christian, I was working, and I was a college student, I was working at an auto parts store over in Tyler, and I was delivering auto parts to different auto repair shops. And that's all I did all day long. I just ran back and forth from the store to the shops and back and forth. And I had this delivery. It was at the end of the day. And it was way out, like 30 minutes. And it was so far out in the country, it kind of scared me. Actually, I got out there and I thought, I could die out here and no one would ever know what happened to me. I mean, I don't. And, and when I pulled up to the shop, these guys' shop, I was like, and these guys probably will kill me. These are probably the guys that do it right here. I mean, they were covered in grease. I was like, have y'all just been rolling around the floor? What, how do you get so dirty, you know? And, and I never delivered to this shop before, and so I pull up out there, and I'm a little clean college boy, and I'm like, oh, I got your parts, you know. And so they sign it, and I mean, as soon as I got there, it was like the Holy Spirit said, share your faith with these guys. 
I was like, God, they're already going to kill me. I guess I should just go ahead and share my faith with them, you know. But I didn't. I got scared. I said, I'm not doing that. I don't even know what I'd say. These guys don't even know me. What would I say to them? So they signed their ticket. I got in the truck and all the way back, 30 minutes back to the store, Holy Spirit's just working on me. And I'm like, so I, I get back, get in my vehicle, drive home. I have a softball game that night, and the Holy Spirit's just heavy on me. Like, I, you are going to obey me or not? I'm like, well, it's too late. I already missed the opportunity. And I had a softball game. I put my softball uniform on. I get ready to leave, and I should turn left to go to the softball game, and I turn right to go back to the country. So here I am headed out to this shop, which I'm thinking they're going to be closed when I get there, right? Nope. They're there. Door's still open. Now here I am, and I show up in a softball uniform. I think God has a sense of humor. God's like, you could have done this two hours ago and you wouldn't have been in a softball uniform. It would have made more sense. But here you are. Now you're in your softball uniform. So I walk up to these guys. I don't have any parts. I don't even know if they know who I am. You know, I walk up to them and I'm like, hey, guys, I was here earlier. I work for bird service, you know, and, and they're looking at me like, what? You're in a, what are you doing? What, who, who are you? And I said, this is going to sound crazy, but I said, I feel like the Holy Spirit told me to come back. I should have shared this with you guys earlier, but I didn't. I got scared, and I feel like the Holy Spirit's told me to I'm just saying this going, wow. And so I, told them, I shared the gospel with them. I told them about Jesus. I told them how they could be saved, and they listened to me. They stopped what they were doing. Who wouldn't listen to a kid in a softball uniform sharing the gospel, you know? And they listened to me, and I was like, and they didn't receive Christ, but I don't know an eternity. I don't know what the rest of that story is. It might be pretty fun to get to heaven and find out what the rest of that story is. I have no idea. But I had to decide if I was going to stay under the Holy Spirit's leadership or not. And I've been faced with that decision lots and lots of times, and you have too. Are you going to live by the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life? That's the first action of any church is to live under God's Spirit's control. So not only do we, we, do we submit to the Holy Spirit in order to, to know the will of God and to do the will of God, but third and last this morning is this. We, we submit to the Holy Spirit in order to stay in God's will. When I went to Bellevue Baptist when I was in college, I worked at Bellevue Baptist two summers as an intern. And it, one of the things that was fascinating to me was just to be around a whole different group of Christians than I'd ever been around and to hear the way they talked about things. And one of the things they would do is they would describe kids in the youth ministry and they'd say, well, he's out of the will of God. He's not living in the will of God. And I remember thinking, I've never really heard it put exactly like that. Or this kid, man, they're living in God's will. And, I'm, and I remember thinking, biblically, that's a beautiful way to put that. That's a great description of of someone who's either, I would say, living for the Lord or not living for the Lord, right? We categorize people in a lot of different ways, but I thought that was a beautiful way to put it. They're living in the will of God or they're out of the will of God. And I asked him one time, they were talking about this one kid, I said, how do you know he's out of the will of God? How do you know? Well, because he's involved in these different things and they've talked about sinful activities he was involved in. I was like, oh, okay, all right, I get it. There are two things the Bible says that you can do and I can do to remove ourselves from the will of God. Two things, and one is quenching the Holy Spirit. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. It couldn't be any clearer. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, Adrian Rogers used to say that quenching the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit tells you to go and you say no. God's trying to lead you to do something for him, to minister to someone like me going out and sharing my faith with those guys or whatever else it might be. God's leading you to do something. He's telling you clearly to do it. He's leading you by his spirit and you go, no, not doing that. Don't want to do that. He says, go. You say, no. That's quenching the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says there's another way that we can remove ourselves from the will of God and from the, being under the submission of the Holy Spirit, and that is to grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in Ephesians, and do not grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And I, I love this because God could have used any word he wanted to talk about what it means when God says to not do something. God says, no, don't do that. And we go, I'm going to do it anyway. God says, no, and we say, go. <laughs> so one is kind of the brakes and one's kind of the gas. You know, God's trying to tell us to go. He's got the gas on. And we're going, no, no, hit the brakes. And God's telling us, hit the brakes, and we just go right past it and run into something sinful or wrong and not part of his will. And the Bible says in that moment, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, you you can only grieve for something that you lost. You can only grieve for something that you loved and don't have any longer. When a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they become adopted into God's family. They're saved. All their sins forgiven. Their sin can no longer separate them from God. So their position before God is eternally secure. But when a believer in that situation sins and they walk away from God, they choose to say to God, I'm not doing this your way. I'm not going to be under submission to you. I want that thing, whatever it is. I'm going for it. I'm going to do it my way. Whatever the manifestation of that is in the person's life. When they go that direction, what they're saying is, I value that more than you, God. I value that more than being in fellowship with you. I want that more. And it hurts the heart of God. God could have described that as anger. He could have said, don't make the Holy Spirit angry. He said, no, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You can only grieve for something that you've lost. So it's a beautiful picture, even of the love of God, to say, I want to be just like this with you. I want to be intimate with you. But if you choose something that's out of my will, you don't lose your relationship with me, but you lose fellowship. Think about your own kids, right? I mean, something happens in your relationship with them. They don't stop being your kid, but you might have a lot of distance in your relationship. Some of you have adult children that you're estranged from. You know what I'm talking about. You grieve for them because you remember what it was like when you were close. And when we walk away from the Lord, when we're unwilling to be under submission to his spirit, the Bible says we grieve his spirit. He experiences grief for you. He cares about you enough to grieve over you. I love that. That is the tender heart of God, a God who produces gentleness and kindness in us. That's the heart of God. That's the God we love and serve. That's the God we can trust to get under his leadership. He's not going to lead us to do stupid stuff. He's going to lead us to do meaningful stuff that might challenge us. But he's that kind of God. And so this morning, as we end, I've got three minutes here. My challenge to you is very, very simple. Do you characterize your life as being a life that's lived under submission to the Holy Spirit? Like most of the time. That's, that's the habit of your life. That's the pattern of your life. Or would you say, foreign concept to me. I don't know if I've ever lived under submission to the Holy Spirit. Then can I just challenge you today to trust God and submit yourself to him? Our church can't be the church we're supposed to be if those of us who are individual members of it are not submitting to the Holy Spirit. We can't take the action God wants us to take unless we start there. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to have a moment with God. And this is not a come forward thing. This is a you in your seat with God this morning silence. Some of you need to just submit to God this morning, to the Holy Spirit, to his Holy Spirit in your life. Some of you have gone after something he's told you to stop and you kept going. Some of you he's told you to go after something and you said, nope, I don't want to do that. Too scared to do that, feel inadequate, whatever it might be. And so you've just, you've gotten out of the will of God and you've lived out of the will of God. Still come to church and you still kind of have a form of Christianity that looks like Christianity to everybody else, but you know in your heart, "Mm -mm, you're not pleasing the Lord. 
you're out of his will. So this morning, I want to ask you to come back to him because he grieves for you as his child when you're away from him. He loves you like that. He's calling you back this morning. So I'm going to give you a moment of silence. I'm going to ask no one to leave. And I want you to just talk to your father and deal with it this morning. Would you do that? The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he'll restore you today. This is not about emotion. It's about reality. Others of you that are here this morning have never ever asked Christ to come into your life. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're not saved. The Bible says you're at enmity with God. You're an enemy of God by your own sinfulness. Wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He wants you to be saved so that he can have a relationship with you. He wants to deal with your sin, remove it, eradicate it, so that he can have a relationship with you. But the only way that can happen is through Jesus Christ. That's why he sent Jesus to be the Savior. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus alone. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless they come through me. So this morning, if you're here and you say, I believe all that. I believe Jesus died. I believe he rose again on the third day. But I've never really put my personal trust in him, but I want to today. Would you raise your hand? Nobody's looking but me. Had a man in the last service last week, middle age, raised his hand. It was a God thing. Gave his life to Jesus. Somebody else? Anybody else? Raise your hand if you want Christ this morning. Those of you who have your hand raised, I'm just going to lead you in a time of calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. So you could just say something like this to him. You can use my words or your own. The words are really insignificant. What matters is your heart. But the words help us express ourselves to God. So just say, dear God in heaven, I'm sorry for my sin. I know I'm a sinner. I don't want sin anymore. I turn away from it. I reject it. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want to be with you forever. I want to know your love. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. Help me now live in submission to you every day of my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.